Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. I know that people shouldn't be defined by the jobs that they do, uh, but there is something about people's jobs that kind of tells you something about the person because not every person can do every job. Uh, if you've listened to the show or you know me at all, you know that the Lord did not make me to be a kindergarten teacher for a variety of reasons, because I think that barbed wire and broken glass is a great way to keep kids in a play place. Um, so today's guest has a job that I have not known uh, personally, anybody else who's had this job. And it's a really special career path. And it's one of the things that uh, I just find most interesting about her. She's a child life specialist in the hospital, which means she uh, helps kids navigate the medical system, which is scary for pseudo grown-ups like me. Uh, she and her hubby are two of the most intentional people I know, and I think you're really going to enjoy your time with today's guest, Kelsey Bryant. Kelsey, welcome. Hey. hey. We're here. Yeah. You made it through the weird, I'm nice to you introduction. That's not usually <laughs> how we treat each other. Kind of held my breath there for a minute. Like, What's going on? What's going on? Well, good day today. Yes. Your life is a little better than it was last time we talked because now you are working one day a week. I am. Yes. Um, the intro to my job, spot on, nicely done. Okay. Um, but it was taking a toll on me for sure. Um, I knew motherhood was going to change the game. I was not naive to that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am a new mom, new as in my little one is 11 months old now. So um, that I wasn't naive to it. I knew like becoming a mom was going to be a game changer and I would see things differently. And but man, to the extent it was like, wow, that that kid is the same age as Thad or like that could be Thad's future and just uh, manifesting in all the wrong ways. And so I was very aware of that and talked to my team and I was like, hey, I need to step back before I step out. Yeah. Uh, and they all respected that and came together and we got a plan and said, you know what, let's let's just do one day a week. So now I work with kids on Mondays and that's the day that we will sedate them so that they can receive MRIs. And so um, for me, it's a lot better because it's in and out. It's not like these long drawn out relationships that I'm building with kids and families, which was my MO prior yeah. working with kids with oncology um, or hematology or the ICU where I got to know families really in depth, um, which was great. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to know when to call it. And totally. And I don't, you know, I, like everybody says having a kid's going to change you yeah. and it does, but that was one of the things that surprised me. Like, you know, I obviously always hated it when you saw a news story about somebody who hurt a kid or something terrible mm -hmm. happening. But the way those stories land after you have a kid is just entirely different. 
Well, so much of my job had like shaped the way I thought I was going to parent for the sake of we didn't think we would ever have a child like Thad being a biological child. Yeah. We were more in the headspace of we were going to foster, um, maybe adopt, but definitely leaning more towards fostering. And um, just the way my job works, I was able to see a lot of kids either in the system or kids that um, you held the belief would benefit from being in the system. What a line. And you it's know. very hard to say that line. Yeah. Um, it's not a judgment call that you get to make lightly. Um, but there are some very rough reasons for seeing kids at my work in I, the hospital. I took kind of a break from the jail chaplaincy for a couple of years. Um, and some of it was there's some political things going on that made it tougher. Life was busy for me. But one of the contributing factors was um, that was about the time of the Joe Daniels murder. Mm-hmm. And his mom and dad were there. And baby Joe was about the same age as my kids. And I was pretty pretty good in jail at kind of being able to t- turn off the judgment and say there, yeah. but for the grace of God, go I. Yes. But that one I couldn't. Yeah. Um, and I really, truly thought if I was face to face with that guy, I wasn't entirely sure what I would say or do. Right. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I landed when you're in the ER and, you know, you have this child come up and questions start getting asked and little bits of the truth start coming out and then the bigger parts of the truth come out and you're like whoa okay um the state comes through and they're like okay well we're gonna discharge me like what how how um but that's that is not my job and i would stay in my lane um i would advocate of course but yeah there's only so much that can be done and so seeing that side of the system, that's what really got Will and I interested in, you know, trying to be a part of it. And we we can't fix it by no means. Right. But what can we do to help? Um, so we had really focused on that aspect. And then um, then we found out we were pregnant. I was like, whoa. Surprise. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> But really, like it, it was a shock to everybody. So it was a very cool shock. Um, yeah. And so we're figuring out how to be parents in this state because I had mentally prepared myself to to be a mom's helper. And the whole goal of fostering is reunification. And so, like, what can I do to be mom's helper? What can yeah. I do to be dad's helper? And now it's like, no, I, I am mom. And Will is dad. So just a whole different shift in thoughts. And nobody gets you ready for that. No, no. Like this kid is like permanently mine. <laughs> for better, for worse. Yeah. 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 So that it's cool. It is really cool. It uh, is really cool. It's, it's one of those things where I've stopped with the whole I will never tidbit. Mm. Um, I was notorious for like the whole like I will never da 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 da. Yeah. And I've like, I have like a silver spoon set out just so that I can eat those words. <laughs> it's just come back every time it feels like. And so. Oh, so you just made your mom's day when she gets to listen to this. Like, oh, oh she eats her 1, words. thousand percent. No, I am. Um, the most I've ever been told I to- told you so was on my wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I feel like we need to kind of back up. Usually I start with, so what's your God story? And we jump <laughs> right into the middle of this. But I think I think we got to get you to that wedding day. So we may need to go backwards a little bit. Yeah. Um, but man, I really thought I was going to get out of that question because that was the question that made me the most nervous. Oh, is it really? Oh, my goodness, yes. I like was laying in bed last night thinking, okay, he's going to ask me, so what's your God story? And I don't have an answer. Okay. Like I don't. I don't have this like well thought out, like articulate answer of life. Let me tell you a secret. I don't either. That's why I keep asking everybody else. <laughs> yeah, because like I don't have a lightning bolt moment. No. You know, I wasn't a crack addict. Um, I mean, there's there's moments I can tell you about that are really cool. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of moments because of my job that I have been a, um, a, a spectator or assistant or yeah. walked with or beside. But, you know, a lot of my stories aren't my story. And like, there's a lot of my stories I can't tell because they're not my story. And that's how I feel with my job, too. Yeah. Like, you get in those trenches with people, and it is a blessing and a privilege on my end just to see how families come out or at least walk through whatever horrific thing they've just experienced in the hospital setting. Um, But, I don't know, I guess I take tidbits of that story in a it gives me perspective. It gives me, um, I don't know, wisdom seems to like hoity-toity. No, like, but there's it, some tri- uh, perspective is wisdom. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that has just always been difficult for me is like I'll have a day where I have visited with someone who's at hospice and there's someone who's dying. And then that afternoon, someone will come in to whine and complain that the thermostat was one degree too hot in church. Ooh. And I'll just be honest, my... I, I kind of want to throttle them, yeah, you know, uh, because perspective. One thousand percent. I wish I could bring you with me this morning. I wish I could bring you to jail. I wish I could bring you to CareNet. I wish I, mm-hmm. whichever. I don't want anyone to have to go to those places, but. Yeah, I have to constantly do that whole like, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. But man, I wish you did. Yeah. I <laughs> did like that too. Like I just wish you had like an ounce of realizing that. There is a family right now who just got a horrible diagnosis to a child who isn't even old enough to really understand why they're getting pokes and have to lay still for pictures and why they can't go home and see their dog. And you want to sit there and tell me like, man, work was just rough this week. And I had to do two Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Worst. And I... I don't want to downplay anyone's bad day right? by no means. Like, that is never my intention behind my thoughts. Hearing suffering is not helpful. No, 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 definitely not. Um, and I have to be very intentional yeah. <laughs> and very mindful of, like, hey, back up. That's not their problem. I always told people the reason I couldn't ever do full-time youth ministry is I just wasn't going to be good at pretending to care when a fifth grader got dumped by their girlfriend. Yeah. Because perspective. But, dude, but I need real, that, though. It's real to them. It's yeah. so real to them. I need that, though, in my life because I need to know that that is a normal experience, yeah. that that is, that is childhood. That's that's a normal bad day. Exactly. And, like, the childhood that I'm witnessing at work is not normal. It is not right. It does not feel good. It is, like, when we're throwing parties at work, like, I will throw a party for anything at work. Yeah. Like... You just got done with surgery and you had your first poop. Dude, we are having a poop party. There will be poop emojis everywhere. Um, We will serve chocolate pudding. Like, I am on it. 
that's not normal. Yeah. Like we should be throwing parties for like the fact that you, you know, got an A on your test. And it's your first soccer season. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, you just did your last round of chemo and or, you know, haircutting parties were the best and worst days at oh, some point. Because, like, you go in and we're, like, playing the soundtrack from the movie Trolls. Yes. And so, like, it's they're all songs that are, like, related to hair. Yeah. And so, like, we're just moving and grooving and dancing and having a good old time. And I'm shaving a child's head. Like, it's just, it's a weird place mm-hmm. to be. It's so weird. You know, um, again, perspective, this story is, is tiny. But, uh, you know, we've been fortunate. Our kids have been stupid healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie had to have her tonsils and adenoids taken out when she was like two, three or whatever. Again, most routine of all routine things. But that was the first time I'd ever really interacted with the child life people because they brought them down for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was amazing. She was coloring on her oxygen mask. She was choosing what uh, they gave her like um, a chapstick. She could yeah. rub on it to make it smell, smell good. good. So she would breathe in the, the anesthetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was she got to color on her bed yep. and she just thought that was the best. <laughs> and the team of doctors and nurses and <clears throat> I don't know who up met, they could have been, you know, uh, I don't know, food <laughs> salesman for all I know, you know <laughs> 75. But when it comes time to wheel her out, um, they wheel her out like she's going on a parade, a parade to Disney yeah. World. And Leslie and I sort of looked at each other like, well, I guess she just went to surgery. I'm not real sure what just happened. You yep. know? It, I know also some of what they were doing was to make sure we didn't freak out. Oh, 1,000%. You know? Yeah. Uh, they were managing us probably more than they were Katie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just so impressed with with that whole profession mm-hmm. you know, that I'd heard about all these years but never experienced. Um, it's just crazy. Things you don't know that exist. Yeah, I don't get upset when people don't know what I do. Yeah. I'm actually very grateful when people yeah. don't know. That's a great sign. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've never heard of child life. I'm like, that's wonderful. Well, Leslie tells me it's not normal that I have a favorite funeral home. So you know, Yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> you know, I guess I guess it works. That's fair. How did you get into that? Child life? Yeah. Uh I went to Tennessee Tech University and I was gonna be the best nurse ever. Uh, and then I got into nursing chemistry. And I, was like, I knew it was going to be chemistry. It's always this, chemistry. This is the worst. Leslie, this is your fault. What have I done? Um, and I panicked because I had no plan B. Yeah. Um, and so I guess in a roundabout way, that was one of my I will nevers. Like, I will never be anything but a nurse. Because mm. um, I was just like, I want to be medical. I want to help people. But I didn't even know child life existed. And so I talked to an upper division nursing student and I was like, hey, like, I'm not cut out for this. What am I going to do? And she told me about child life. She's like, this was my fallback plan. I went, I looked through the curriculum and I was like, okay, we've got creative play, um, education for early childhood development and bereavement, death and dying. That's an interesting combo. Okay. Oh, I'm. I think I'm just weird enough for this to work. And so I go, I talk to the advisor who was one of the child life specialists at St. Jude Mm. um, and has published all kinds of work in the child life realm. And so I immediately enrolled after that. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is right. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, And then came the real world tidbit where it was 
okay, if you're going to pursue child life, you have two options in Middle Tennessee in like the Nashville area for a job. Vanderbilt Children's Hospital or Centennial, Centennial. Children's Hospital. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that reality did not really sink in until after I graduated. Yeah. Um, because I guess this kind of goes back if we rewind. Um, I got married my senior year of college, which was one of my I will nevers. Um, so I got married. Will and I got married. And and just to be clear, the I will never was Will specifically. One thousand percent. I will never marry Will Bryant. So that. OK, so going back to early in our conversation, the whole I've never been told I told you so, so much on my wedding day. That was it. I'm like walking down the aisle and I can hear the whisper. I told you so. I told you so. People are jerks. I love and it. You're like, I know. I know. And it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, you guys basically grew up almost as brother and sister. Very much so. Um, like we spent the night at each other's houses all the time. It wasn't until high school where my dad was like, hey, Kels, like you probably shouldn't tell people that you're like spending the night at Will's house. Like that's just not going to look good. Doesn't sound good. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, I mean, people are going to think things. And I was like, dad, that's disgusting. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. Well. <laughs> You had a baby with him. You I had did. A baby. I did. And I was like, oh, that's what people were going to talk about. So how did you end up actually getting together? I don't think I know that story. Um, did you lose a bed or was it a 10-year pact? Or? We went a year without speaking to one another because it got to the point he was like, I, I want to be committed to you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I was not there. And he was like, I, I got to step away from you. So this is kind of the friend zone thing landed hard. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, oh, I was pissed. Yeah. I was like, how dare you? <laughs> if you can't be my friend, then you you want like or if you can't be more than my friend, you want nothing to do with me kind of thing. And I I took it and blew it way out of proportion. And just I was horrible. But um. We went a year without speaking, and then he had to come up to Cookville for, I think, a firefighter training or something like that. And uh, he stayed at a friend's apartment, and we got to talking, and um, something really big in his life had happened. And he was like, he called me, and I was like, oh, this is weird. This is probably just a butt dial. And he was like, hey, we need to talk. And so we're talking through, like, this... Um, difficult time that he was going through and next thing I know like he's in Cookville we're hanging out talking and uh a few nights later he's like we should try dating and I was like okay and then eight months later we were engaged one month later we were married I will never I will never I will never marry Will Bryant I will never get married in college I'll never live with my in-laws with them for two and a half years um. Yeah, we'll delete whatever you need to say about the in-laws <laughs> later. <laughs> no, man, I am so blessed. Who I won the in-law lottery, dude. Yeah, they're fantastic people. Well, he did all right too. Yeah, yeah, I got some good ones. You, you, you did all right all the way around that. Yeah. How long have y'all been together now? Uh, it's going to be eight years in July. Happy eight years in July. Thanks. I won't remember it Thanks. then, so I'm just going to get it out of the way now. That's cool. Yeah. 
So let's go back to work a little bit. Yeah. Just because that's an interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen some crap. Yeah. And a lot you don't. A lot you don't want to talk about. I don't want a trauma dump. Yeah. Which I know that that's like a really catchy phrase nowadays, but I mean, that's what I can do. I mean, that's what it would turn out to be because yeah. people would hear these stories and I mean, they're like some pearl clutching. I mean, working in oncology, yeah, working in hematology, you don't have to tell the stories because just uh, it's so dumb. But I have a visceral reaction to every stupid Predators game I go to when the stupid Zamboni comes out and it's decorated by the stupid oncology department at the stupid Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. It wrecks me every mm-hmm. time because this is a thing that ought not exist. You know, this mm-hmm. is not what the world, this is the curse in the world. It is broken and it's awful, you know. I just wanted to watch a hockey game, not a yeah. reminder of kids yeah. who are suffering. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that was one of my big reasons for stepping away, just because I had several deaths um, back to back. Um, there was a phase where I was a team of one, so I was by myself mm. during the pandemic. So I was doing adult bereavement. So on top of the oncology that was like my normal bread and butter, I was going over to the adult world, the adult hospital, going over to those COVID units and working with the surviving partner on how to explain to the kids that mom or dad is not coming home mm. because they're dying or they have already died. Um, so that that kind of did me in. It, in the moment, I mean, you like put your blinders on, you compartmentalize like a champ. And you just do it. Um, I often have people say like, oh, I don't know how you do your job. I don't know how you find the words. And truly, I don't either. Um, I kind of contribute that to like a Holy Spirit type deal. I, I think that that was, that's my gift that God has given me. Other than that, I have no explanation for it. Because I can leave a room and be like, oh, what did I say? <laughs> and like the nurse is just coming out and like pat me on the back and be like, hey, I'm really glad you were here to say that because I don't. I don't think I could have found those words. And I was like, great. Could you tell me what those words could were? You record that and play that back. I don't, I don't remember. I'm going to need that written down for yeah. this guy. Yeah. Um, and so that, there's just a lot of trenches. I was trench hopping that year. Okay. So let me, let me go practical for a second. Mm-hmm. It's not what we normally do here. Um, but what advice do you have for people who are going through difficult things? You know, you go in those rooms. We we are a grief illiterate society. Oh man, we we don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, one one author I read said one time in the ancient world, sex was private and death was public. Now we have flopped those two. A thousand percent. Uh, you know, and you know, a lot of people don't ever take their kids to the funeral home, and they say they don't because they don't want to traumatize their kids. But the real reason is they don't want to deal. With the funeral home. I was about to say, adults are the ones that are uncomfortable with death. Yeah. Kids are curious, and they need to be. They need to be curious about it, and we need to have adults who are comfortable enough to have these conversations. And if it's not you, you better go out and find somebody. Yeah. And hey, Burns, you have somebody. It's you. It's me. (laughs) Well, for the age of 18 and under. That's right. You don't want to talk to anybody else. (laughs) I remember when I first started ministry, um, I was at a hospital room, I think it was, with James Hinkle. Mm -hmm. And it was a person who's time has very clearly come and we were in that stage of 
not quite active death, but the end should be coming, but it might take a while to get there. Mm-hmm. And I promise I'm not speaking callously here at all. It was just one of those, this person needed to go. Yes. And I did not have a vocabulary for that. I didn't have any of that. And James prayed, and I'll never forget the prayer, um, something in the effect of, Lord, um, send your angels to bring so-and-so home now. Uh, don't wait any longer. Ease them on the journey. Help their family to let go and help them run into your arms. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at him like, are you allowed to pray that? Aren't we supposed to pray they get better? <laughs> like, you know, isn't that the job? Yeah. And um, uh, the person died like an hour later. Yeah. And that's when I told James, you better not ever pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> you, your prayers are fatal, man. Yeah, they, they uh, listen to you. <laughs> but that was that was just mind-blowing to me that you can reach a stage where that's not only acceptable, but it's a good thing. I want someone to pray that for me when the time is right. I don't want you to pray it right now, but right, you know. yeah. Well, I get up there and I one, you sit in the suck. Mm. I can't say anything to make this better, but there's a lot I can do to make it worse. So really, my whole job is just not to make it worse. Yeah, do no harm. Exactly. So sit in the suck and then practice the pause. Man, you you don't have to go in there and rattle off. You don't even have to rattle off a beautiful prayer. You just have to be present. You can be present and silent at the same time. And that's okay. And I think that that can really stump people. I feel like there's a book that I would like to write or at least just like a little insert of like what not to say at a funeral mm. or what not to say on the day of a death because man like there are just some real zingers that people come up with and it's like you thought that was comforting all right share some okay i'm putting you on the spot okay so there's god just needed another angel oh shoot me yeah i get angry on that one Mm -hmm. um it's all in god's plan really anything that has to do with god pisses me off Mm -hmm. because it's like okay With where this family, for me specifically, with where this child is right now, you've just played the blame game and you've put it on God. That's rude. Yeah. Okay, because they're sorting through a whole lot of other things that they need to deal with. They don't need the being that should be their comfort to be their enemy. Yeah. And you've just done that. Yes. Because you've made God the bad guy by saying he just took your person away. He just needed another angel? Really? Yeah. How did he get the first ones? Uh-huh. He made them. Uh-huh. Oh, so you're saying he stole my loved one? Yeah. Uh, there's nothing about that sentence that makes sense. Yeah. No. Nothing. Um, They're in a better place. No, their place is supposed to be right here beside me. Yeah. Taking care of me. Tucking me in at night. Fixing me lunches to go to school. That's their place. Um, The God's plan one... That one, it gets me for the sense of kids will get angry about God's plan. And this has happened um, just with like the youth ministry side that I have worked with. Um, I had one of my girls ask, she's like, her dad had died and she goes, people keep saying like God's plan. And I was like, yeah, but you get to be mad at God's plan. Like, you don't have to like God's plan. I'm not sure I even believe in God's plan. Yeah, I, I know that line is <laughs> real great for my future employment. Yeah. 
But, you know, we have this idea that God, before the ages, wrote a detailed map of what I'm supposed to do. And he didn't tell it to me, but I need to figure it out. And Uh if I figure it out, things are going to be good. Mm -hmm. Like, I I know that God has foreknowledge and he's smart and all of those things. But I just don't find that language biblical or helpful. No. You know. No. And then um, I think it can turn, at least something that I've experienced myself is like, Okay, this is making me have negative feelings towards God, and I don't like that. That makes me feel icky. Yeah. And that makes me a bad Christian, right? And David had some no. some pretty good stuff to say. Have you read yeah. the Psalms? Yeah. Yeah, and so um, that's something that I'm working through as an adult now is uh, when my feelings are not always joyful towards the Lord. Mm. Um, and especially here in this last year or so, um, of just sitting and and actually asking why like this is not fair and this is not good um i mean even yesterday my coworker comes in the office and she is just like deer in the headlights look and i was like hey girl like what's what's going on she goes um Room five just asked me, why is God not making me better? Why is God not letting me get better? That was the question. I was like, oh. This kid is um, nine years old, by the way. Why is God not letting me get better? So what do you do with that? Exactly. I don't know. I feel like I should know considering how long I've been doing it, but I don't know. And that's awful. And it's like, man, like, I. I well, buddy, an God needed another angel. Yeah. It's like it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's, you know, two months from now, we'll, we'll, we'll is let it you know. okay to say, I don't know. Oh, that is one of my favorite phrases for my kids. I don't know. Yeah. Because a lot of them come and they, at work, especially, they get like these like long medical answers where they really don't understand it. Yeah. Um, and so I've had my teens especially say, like, you're one of the first people who will say, I don't know. Yeah. And that makes me believe you. Everyone else actually tries to give me an answer, and I'm just not, I don't actually believe what they have to say a lot of the time. We're not God. We need to stop pretending to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe God does have a plan, and I just don't know it, and I don't understand it. If mm-hmm. that's the case, I need to just say, we don't know, mm-hmm. instead of saying, here's what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a little side here. There's a book by Glenn Pemberton called Hurting with God, Learning to Lament with the Psalms that I read years ago. And one of the things I thought was so interesting, uh, he made his grad students analyze the top-selling hymn books in two or three denominations. So for us, it was Songs of Faith and Praise, the the book we have on the rack. Yeah. And he set out a criteria to how you categorize the psalms that you read in the Bible. Like, this is what a Thanksgiving psalm looks like. This is what a... And this is what a lament psalm, a, a complaint psalm looks like. Yeah. So based on those criteria, he had his students catalog the book of Psalms. And he had, then he had his students catalog the hymn books. In the book of Psalms, by these criteria, uh, 42%, almost half of the book of Psalms classifies as lament. And some of those Psalms say things like, where are you, God? Why are you sleeping? Why have you failed me? Why have you forgotten? How long will you let your enemies, you know, uh, have victories? Things like that. Yeah. 
by their calculations, like two to 4% of our hymn books had anything <laughs> like it. And they were so, they were weak sauce yeah. in comparison. Yeah. And his, his point was, he said, why do we not do what David did and deal with the whole gamut of life? In fact, he said it was almost inverse. Um, it was something like 42% of Psalms was lament and like five or 10% were thanksgiving or praise. <laughs> yeah. And like our hymn book is like 60% thanksgiving and praise and 2% lament. It was just backwards. We don't have a vocabulary for this stuff to say, this sucks. Mm -hmm. God, please help. We don't want to be uncomfortable. No. God forbid we be uncomfortable. Yeah. I'd say church is the best place to be uncomfortable, but it's the last place anyone wants to be. Yeah. Well, and that, I guess that's a pretty decent segue for why Will and I ended up here. Um, we grew up in church, going to the same church as kids. Um, our whole families were in that church, and it was comfortable. Um, we were the, every time the doors are open, and that's for fellowship, camps, retreats. I mean, we were all in, very involved. Um, but it just kind of got to the point where it was, this is so comfortable, and there's so much routine in this. And I'm very blessed to have grown up that way. And I, I realize that, and I know I'm very fortunate in that. But there's also the fear that is now of being comfortable and being complacent. And when am I just going to check off boxes yeah. and the routine behind it? And checking myself now of like, okay, am I going? Why am I going? Yeah. Um. Honestly, that's changed here in the last little bit because... um. I know you had Chuck up there with you Sunday morning. Yeah. Couldn't really tell you what y'all talked about a whole lot. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, wrestling a baby and and sleep deprivation and all of these other things that probably get chalked up to being excuses. But it's, I don't know. It's just, it's hard right now to go in and, and stay focused and, you know, be intentional. I'm going to say something I think is just off the rock or backwards from what we normally say. Um, I don't like religion to be a check the box thing. Right. Period. End of sentence. But I'm not sure that there aren't some seasons where that's almost the exact right thing for it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're when you're feeding baby and wrestling baby and you haven't slept for six consecutive hours <laughs> in six months, it's almost like the reason you go to church is to remind yourself that you're a person who goes to church yeah, rather yeah. than to get something out of the content or, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe that's a yucky, slippery slope. I don't know. But I think I think it's okay for, for some periods of time. I don't want you to do it's, it. Forever. It's what I need right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, right now. And um, it it is helpful because um, on the mornings we can make it to class. Uh, we've been taking Thad to Cradle Roll, and so Will and I actually get to go to class and, like, listen and, and <laughs> or at least not have a baby wallering all over you and whatnot. Um, so we're getting there, but, I mean, it's, right now we are checking boxes, and that doesn't feel great to say, but I guess that's just the reality of it. I think I like checking boxes in this season better than just unchecking them. Yeah. I mean, perspective. Yeah. Perspective. It'll come and it'll go and, you know, it's mm -hmm. all right. So let me go back to another thing that you've done at church. Mm -hmm. um, 
and this was kind of in the realm when you guys were talking about fostering and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, you and Will did a lot about um, evidence-based trauma-informed yes. all the things. Um, can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So we facilitated a class at Chapel Hill um, that came out of Tennessee Kids Belong, and they have this whole curriculum for being trauma-informed, and they do a great job of combining um, <laughs> they combined the Word of God, being trauma-informed, how that all comes together, um, the way God intended families to be, how sin came in, wrecked that, what can we do as the church to help heal that, um, and the feedback we got from the class was really great, and it opened a lot of eyes and hearts and ears. Um, we did it mainly for a training for staff that was going to be involved with Midsummer Bible Camp. Yeah. And most of them came back and were like, this was just good knowledge to have in general. Just life in general every day, how to interact with kids that come to church. You know, you did it for camp, and I'm, I'm going to put words in your mouth here. Um, some of why you do that is because your staff has trouble dealing with, quote, the bad kids yeah. and troubled kids the without kids from the community. ever realizing... <laughs> what's going on yeah. and how we may be yeah, making it worse without meaning to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, because, well, no, it's not just kids in the community. It's kids at church, too. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't know. This may come back to bite me. It probably will. Bite, 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 bite. But the when parents think that it's not their kid, and, oh, my kid's not affected by that. My kid hasn't experienced that. You sure about that? And the, it's a scary place to be. The race start of questioning that. childhood exploitation or something like one in four. Yeah. So. And if your kid isn't falling victim to that, chances are a buddy of theirs is. So, I mean, I don't know. It just, like I said, just good knowledge to have in general if you are going to be around a child yeah <laughs> yours somebody else's you have a slumber party at your house it doesn't matter um just learning what to look for and how to either you yourself cope with it or help them cope with it or find somebody who does you know i didn't grow up with friends who did drugs i know that's shocking <laughs> uh, so it took a pretty long time before I started learning to be able to how to recognize when somebody was on drugs. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. we had people drunk at church and I was the last person who ever figured out. I had this guy who'd call me and tell me he loved me at night. And it, that's kind of weird. Oh, he was drunk. That's why, you know, yeah, yeah. And yeah. still better than some of the other calls you get. So <laughs> yeah. I really don't mind all that much. But we just we don't. A lot of us in church don't have any skill. We're grief illiterate. Or trauma illiterate too. Very much so. Very much so. Um, I was fortunate in the fact that my parents were um, very supportive in the friendships that I and my sister formed. Um, so that meant that we were like the open house. <laughs> we were open house in the sense of 
people would come hang out, spend the night. Um, we had extra twin mattresses that we would just like throw in the living room floor. And uh, sometimes these slumber parties went on for two, three, four nights all weekend, um, especially during the summer months. And sometimes that was because a person really did need a couch to sleep on yeah. <laughs> or it was just a for funsy. Yeah. And the whole goal was to not be able to distinguish between the two. Um, and we, you know, lived off of cheese quesadillas and and crystal light water. <laughs> like <laughs> oh, good lemonade, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but my parents were the type where they became everyone's trusted confidant. Like I can't tell you the amount of times my parents had the sex talk at our kitchen table with friends because they were already engaging like some type of behaviors, but like they clearly <laughs> were not getting all the pieces. And it was more so coming from like, this is what a healthy relationship needs to look like. Um, and being safe in your relationships. Um, and at the moment, like I just thought that that was kind of normal. But then I realized looking back, like a lot of my childhood wasn't normal in the sense of I have two parents that are happily married who are safe people who other kids can depend on um, who have had different people couch surf mm. <laughs> I thought couch surfing was kind of a normal thing like you just kind of always opened up your house to other people on the couch yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'm very blessed in that aspect mm. I had great examples for that um, to the point where I was like, man, like, I kind of can't wait to have our own house so that we can have our own couch surfers. And, yeah. <laughs> and and who do we get to love on and take care of? And now you've got this permanent little couch surfer. I do. Yeah. 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 Man, it's nuts. Which is fun in a, in a little house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Place is amazing, though. Yeah. It's amazing. Your nephew just said, we live in the middle of nowhere before mm -hmm. we got started. Yeah. Super happy about that. Oh, absolutely. Um. Just living in our little bubble with my parent or my grand my in-laws are at the bottom of the driveway my parents are seven minutes down the road my sister lives across the street from them like we're we're in our own little bubble in the middle of nowhere some would even say compound oh yeah do you have kool-aid oh no she's just smiling <laughs> what could possibly go wrong what could possibly go wrong well kelsey this has been fun is yeah. there anything else you want to share today I feel like we've been all over the place. We but. have. This may be the most ADHD episode we've ever had, but I mean, we have we have worked through some stuff here. I mean, yeah. I was about to say this may be one that people just have like, wait, what was said? Go back. You may have more job security by the questions people may be posing now. So, well, because I, I guess I couldn't give you any solid answers or advice. I feel like, but um, I may have I don't know. some questions. Sit in the suck. Uh, what, what did you practice the pause? What was the other one? You had another one to write three back to back to back, but I wasn't fast enough to write that <laughs> one down. Yeah. I mean, those in perspective in perspective for sure. And, you know, even as, is um, not fun as some of these lessons of perspective have been mm -hmm. how the perspective you have had will shape who you are for Thad. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're not going to be the parent who is screaming in a little league ref because perspective. And if Thad comes home with a bad grade at some point, perspective. 
And the great thing is you're not going to say, well, I'll never screw that up because, well, perspective. Yeah. Thankfully, I haven't had to use that spoon in a while. Um, I just kind of backed off. (laughs) So, But it's still sitting there waiting. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. There's something that'll come up. Absolutely. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for being with us today. And friends, thank you for listening. Uh, And if you don't mind, share this with somebody because you don't know who this might be helpful to. Um, or who you could bless with it. I don't get paid more either way because uh, this podcast makes absolutely no money. You'll notice there aren't ads, but it's just something. uh, I love hearing people's stories because it gives you perspective you can't get any other way. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I can't wait to see what God's up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, Help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.